Welcome to The Uptrack, a podcast series streamed live from Facebook, hosted by Wasatch Backcountry Alliance. All right. Um, hi, my name is Brad Rutledge. We're excited to have the latest episode of The Uptrack. And the, the vision behind this podcast series is to talk about a really complex issue facing us if we live here in the central Wasatch. How, how do we overcome a lot of the transportation issues that we've been experiencing in the central Wasatch, getting up big cottonwood, little cottonwood, and specifically because there's money on the table now, we're exploring some of the uh, transportation solutions for Little Cottonwood Canyon. And tonight's focus is on gondola, uh, the gondola transportation solutions. And so with that, um, I'd like to introduce our guests. Uh, joining me tonight, um, also with Wasatch Backcountry Alliance is WBA President Chris Adams. Thanks for being here, Chris. Hi, Brad, great to be here. Uh, and then we have, um, a, we have a whole slew of Chris's here tonight, actually. Um, but we have some advocates is what we're, um, we're talking about for the gondola solutions. Um, Chris will get into this uh, real briefly to remind people about some of the transportation solutions that we're looking at. But uh, I'd like to welcome our other guests. Let me start with Chris McCandless of CW Management Corporation. Thanks for being here, Chris. Thanks for the invite, Brad. Glad to be here and share whatever information we can. And uh, just uh, for the audience, can you maybe uh, just give a brief background about um, you know who you are and and you know why are you here representing the Gondola Solution tonight? Well, I um, started skiing in Little Cottonwood Canyon when I was nine. I'm 65, so I've been in the canyon a little bit. Um, my background is both as an elected official in the past, as um, chairman of the Central Wasatch Commission, as a company owner that does a lot of different real estate-based projects. Some of the stuff that I really am proud of is I was able to coordinate uh, the completion of the Jordan River Parkway Trail as one of my elected official uh, jobs, as well as do a lot of work on open space and uh, the Bonneville Shoreline Trail. Pretty proud of some of those things. So. Uh, and, um, you know, I think worth noting, right, you've, you've been an elected official, you were also formerly the head of uh, the CWC, the Yep, the Central Wasatch Commission or the CWC is the acronym government's always got to have an acronym. Right. right? And then your role today. Um, now, now you're a landowner um, with, with some land tied to Lakai, is that correct? And yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a long story and I'm trying to keep my answers short because I know you got limited time, but um, a business partner of mine bought Lakai a long time ago. And after I quit being an elected official, which I found my smile, still have it, um, he asked us to go in and help him with it. At the same time, some friends of mine who lived there at the mouth of the canyon, who were ski patrolmen uh, in a previous life with me at Park City, uh, the Despain family um, their property up for sale. And it seemed like a really cool opportunity to come up with an alternative plan to get the bus station or the gondola station out of the mouth of the canyon because I'm not a fan of that location for any type of significant development. It should be, should be left to look kind of almost as much as we can the way it is today. Got it. Uh, we're 
we've looked at them all. When I was a city councilman, quite frankly, I was banging the Cogrel drum from Sandy to Alta pretty hard. And um, working with the CWC and looking at some of those other options, I came to realize, at least from my perspective, that the gondola is the better option of the three options. But like I said in the beginning, the best thing we can do is solve the problem in any one of those options. We've got to do something, right? Well, Chris, um, thank you so much for being here. Um, uh, let's let's move on. I'd like to introduce Sean Marquette with Doppelmeyer. Sean, if you could just maybe uh, give a little bit of background as to, you know, why are you here tonight being a part of the conversation? Talk about gondolas. Well, thanks for being here, Sean. Well, you know, we will get into a lot of those details, um, you know, here in a minute. Um, sure. And, thanks, you know, Brad. a lot of people are happy to be here. Your company name. Um, just uh, a little really bit about then, um, Doppelmeyer. I'm so I'm representing I'm like, I'm the company, with Chris, with Chris which right is headquartered um, in Austria. And we have about Chris, if you 50 could briefly introduce subsidiaries and, uh, around you know, the world. Here tonight. And our yeah, U.S. So, subsidiary um, happens to be right here in Salt Lake City. So we have um, we have roots here in Salt Lake City does, back in, uh, work with to uh, 1979 uh, when one of our prior companies, SeaTech, um, was established here. Um, um, so we have here in Salt Lake in a Vermont, full uh, complement of engineering and staff, customer support, um, service, the uh, spare parts, all those types of things. Um, Mostly and with um, we are the the leader in ropeway um, systems, ropeway technology uh, around the world. So uh, this project is, of course, exciting for us. Uh, uh, you know, the, we the certainly would stand uh, to, uh, to benefit if, if a gondola so ultimately forth. is chosen um, and if we are chosen so to build that gondola. We, uh, are, are but we are also citizens of Salt Lake City and we appreciate and understand the challenges going up into the canyons and uh, for many reasons we uh, we believe that a ropeway is 
Um, uh, ultimately, the best uh, option because ropeways were born from and, and kind of created for this type of input challenging uh, terrain. To study of this and ropeways as real um, transportation and, uh, means, and that's something that with the that's come more to the fore in the last uh, few years, where we have uh, the types uh, so of systems that can reliably move of, uh, uh, the right what volume the of people is, that we're talking are, about here. Um, so I'm looking forward to looking supporting at, at how a gondola would uh, be configured with with the help of Sean and, and others in terms of uh, spanning the avalanche paths and and making that system uh, work regardless of avalanche conditions and, and other weather conditions. Um, so we're just bringing a kind of a, a perspective from uh, uh, you know our experiences around the world seeing these types of systems and and trying to, to help people understand, you know, what the benefits are, what the challenges are and where we go. Yeah, I feel uh, um, grateful that, you know, we, we have a, a really fantastic panel of, of different experts and uh, viewpoints on, you know, to talk about this. So thanks to everyone for being here. Um, so with this, um, we do need to provide a little bit of background with our podcast, uh, this, this series, The Uptrack. We've typically been having several hundred people tune in and watch the recorded version, some people watching the live version. And so uh, I'd like to ask uh, WBA president, Chris Adams, Chris, can you uh, just you know, kind of frame this really quick? A lot of people are probably aware of what's happening with this, but it, we need to sort of mark out the territory, what the current situation is, why we're talking about this. Sure, so I can certainly do that. <clears throat> so as everyone on this call knows, and as many of our listeners know, there's currently uh, a EIS environmental impact statement being done by UDOT for Little Cottonwood Canyon. Uh, that has come out of a lot of discussions that are related to the Mountain Accord process and the Central Wasatch Commission, of which we're all very familiar. Chris McCandless was, I think, board president. Chris, I'm not sure if that's the right title, but Chris was Chris was there for years, and we interacted with him then, and. We are talking specifically about Little Cottonwood Canyon Solutions because UDOT has received funding from the legislature for specifically for this project. It is not, unfortunately, a broader project. It's not relating to Big Cottonwood or other things, which we'll touch on later. And so we are trying to help educate ourselves and our followers about the process. So thus far, we have had an introduction to the topic. We've talked to the Central Wasatch Commission We've talked with UTA, who would operate a bus system. Tonight, obviously, we're talking to uh, people from the gondola. In the future, we're going to talk to people supporting the rail. And then we're going to talk to UDOT themselves about the process. Then at the end, I think the intent is we will have sort of a wrap up, what we've learned, where we've been, and what our thoughts are on this. The idea of that is that you, excuse me, Central Wasatch Commission is doing their mountain transportation study, as everyone's aware. We believe they are going to release their findings sometime in, in mid to late April or early May. So we're shooting for that same timing, which is before UDOT releases the next draft of their EIS, which we believe is going to be late spring, early summer, which will trigger another public comment period. With, EI, with UDOT ultimately, I think, issuing the final EIS at the end of this year or early part of next year. So we're just trying to educate ourselves. We thought it made sense and we appreciate, as Brad said, the three of you joining us to help us understand more about this and answer some questions. And that's kind of where we are. That's great. 
Uh, anything to add to that? I know, you know, this is a really complicated process. Uh, anything worth noting to our audience um, outside of what Chris Adams just said? Cool. Um, with that, so um, we are going to provide, there's a lot of information out there. And as we were prep preparing for tonight's episode, uh, the gondola team was kind of saying like, there's no way we can do this in 10 minutes. And I get it. It's really complicated. There's a lot of information out there and we will include that on our Facebook page and on our website. So you can go and educate yourself further. Um, there are other dedicated hour long sessions where this team um, propo is proposing, you know, what the gondola is and what it's all about. They're going to go, there's there, you, ha you have the ability to go in more depth tonight. Um, I've kind of put the screws to the team and said, hey, let's give you guys 10 minutes to get to hit on some of the highlights so people who may not be familiar with it can have an understanding of this. Um, but we really want to make this a, an active discussion. So from WBA standpoint, we are representing um, the dispersed recreational user in the central Wasatch. So people that are what they call human powered um, recreationalists. We go up and we, we access trailheads and we go hiking, we go backcountry skiing, we go snowshoeing. And uh, we're really interested in, you know, how this tra these transportation solutions are going to affect our community. Many of us also frequent the resorts. Um, and so um, with that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Team Gondola. Um, and if you guys would like to provide us, you know, about 10 minutes, a little, you know, maybe a little bit more, just to get everyone grounded on what, what the gondola solution looks like. Yeah, and I, I can start out uh, as the generalist of our panel here, <clears throat> just kind of give an overview of, of what the proposal is, what it looks like. Um, and essentially, um, this would be a uh, one, two, three, four stage uh, gondola. Uh, the first stage of the gondola would travel from a point along Highway 210, just east of, of the Lakai restaurant. Um, uh, from that point, it would continue on up the canyon to the park and ride lot right at the mouth of the canyon. Uh, there would be an angle station at that location. Uh, the gondola would then continue up to a point um, adjacent, very near the White Pine Campground, <clears throat> where there would be a, a second angle station. Um, at that angle station, there would not be loading and unloading uh, in terms of the proposal <clears throat> being considered by, <clears throat> excuse me, UDOT there would not be any uh, loading or unloading at that terminal, although there could be, the, the system could be configured to allow that to happen if it were uh, permitted or decided upon. Uh, from that point, the gondola would continue on up the canyon uh, to Snowbird. Uh, there would be a station uh, very near the cliff lodge at Snowbird <clears throat> where there would be loading and unloading at the Snowbird terminal. <clears throat> uh, then the, the system would continue uh, on up to Alta uh, to a point uh, between the gold miner's daughter and the Rustler Lodge, uh, very, very close to uh, uh, Highway 210 and, and accessible to the ski slopes. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the system is as being contemplated by UDOT um, would run at a, an hourly capacity of about a thousand people per hour. Um, and that's based on uh, you know, reducing additional traffic on the highway. Uh, this system, as Sean can, can attest to, could run at a, a capacity up to 5,000 people per hour. Uh, the, the system can be regulated. In other words, uh, some days it can run at 1,000 people per hour. Other days it could run at 2,000 per hour uh, to sort of regulate uh, flows as necessary. Um, the proposal 
that UDOT is studying look very closely at tower locations, minimizing the number of towers, uh, but also uh, providing uh, an alignment that would span the avalanche paths that cross, I think there's, I don't recall, 15 avalanche paths that cross um, the highway. Um, and the system has been designed to, uh, with tower heights and spans that would not only uh, span the, 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 the snow results of an avalanche, but also the powder blast. <clears throat> so the cabins would be uh, high enough in the air to to um, avoid uh, being uh, affected by the powder blast from those avalanches. And we use very sophisticated models with an avalanche expert out of British Columbia uh, to, to, to model all that information. Um, the reason there's uh, angles along the alignment is that um, there's wilderness areas the, um, on either side of the, the highway. And in order to take the alignment uh, up the highway corridor, and not uh, crossing into those wilderness areas, uh, the alignment was set uh, with those angles to, uh, to make that, that work. Um, so uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, Chris McCandless has some, some images that show the actual alignment and some other aspects. And so uh, Chris, do you wanna share those with the group? And, and while Chris is doing that, Chris, can I just ask a couple of questions that, that you alluded to there? I'm, I'm curious, you said about the tower heights how this is something that I'm not clear about how tall the towers are going to be and how many towers are needed for the gondola as proposed. Um, I might have to defer to Sean on that one. I believe the highest tower is in the order of 200 feet tall, but Sean, can you shed some light on that? Yeah, I can, I can share. First of all, the, the quantity of towers, Chris Adams is, um, you know, at this phase in any project, we're, we're purely an equipment supplier. And so a team like Chris Cushing's group, they, they look at alignments and might guide on where a station should be or where towers ought to be. And then what our company does is builds out a, a feasibility rope line uh, calculation for that alignment. And so at, in the stage that we're, we're in right now for Little Cottonwood, we've got some feasibility profiles completed um, and it's, it's four individual sections starting at Lakai and then on up the canyon like, like Chris pointed out. And the number of towers that we have at the moment from the mouth of the canyon to Tanner's Flat, there would be seven towers. And then from Tanner's Flat onto Snowbird, there would be seven more. And of those seven, I think three are actually in Snowbird, you know, within in the parking lot at Snowbird or along the, the alignment. And then there would be on either end, two more towers going between uh, Snowbird and Alta and two towers going between the mouth of the canyon and the proposed Lakai station. So just rough number, somewhere between 16 and 20 towers. Yeah. Cause you mean, so somewhere in that, in that neighborhood. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cause it, it, it can get detailed out, you know, if, if this is to happen and we get into a real final design stage, that's when we optimize and, and adjust heights and make it sure. really useful. Mm -hmm. Sure. And just, can I just clarify one thing? Chris, uh, Chris Cushing said the white pine area, but you said Tanner's. So is it is the angle station at 
which of those is it, is it located at? We have it at, at Tanner's. Okay. I misspoke. I apologize. I, 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 Chris, I thought that's what you had meant because you said the campground, but then I, I just wanted to be sure we're talking about the same things. Okay. Got it. Thank All you. right. Uh, Chris Mr. McCandless, if you want to go through a few um, slides and some visuals. So just as a quick introduction, um, this part of the property, we actually have two master plans for this property. One, just using the existing zoning and creating some residential lots. That's in the event that um, the train station or the base station for the gondola is not chosen for this site. Uh, we will preserve it until they come up with that decision that Chris Adams um, talked about from UDOT because we think it's the better location for it. This particular intermodal hub design, you can, this is the base station, uh, the gondola where it takes off, and then pretty much goes straight up the canyon. Now this corner right here is just prior to um, all the big yellow arrows that tell you to go up Little Cottonwood Canyon, and it's actually the chain-up area presently, and most people, I think, that ski Little Cottonwood would know that. The, the intermodal hub part of this is buses will have dedicated lanes for them to pull off, or right off and right on. Buses making left-hand turns are a bad idea. And so this design allows people to get off, walk over to the gondola, and go up Little Cottonwood Canyon. Parking structure in and of itself is actually built into the road for the most for a large portion of it and then buried into the hillside. So a lot of the parking structure itself, because we think if you're going to be an intermodal hub, you need to have more people be able to access um, the site, especially if the goal is to get cars out of the canyon. And I know the purpose and need for UDOT says they want to do 1,050 people per hour reduction, which meets the 30th percentile. Our theory is that's nice, and we think that's great. But wouldn't it be nice to get more cars than 500 cars per hour out of the canyon? This system here, together with the connections to the trails, there's an extension of the Bonneville Shoreline Trail. It goes right through the middle of Lakai. Uh, will be open to the public, of course, and then comes out the other side. So you can bike, hike, walk, ride a bus, or take a car to this particular station, completing the regional transportation system. Hey, Chris, quick question on this. Um, is this parking, uh, and, I, and I may have just missed it, uh, but can you clarify how many uh, parking spots you have? And is this, is, uh, do you, where, where are people coming from? Um, are people gonna have to park at, do you have all of the parking that is needed at this site? Or do people have to take a bus in and, um, and, and park? And who gets to park in the, at this site as well? It's a combination. So it depends on the eventual outcome. All the stuff we're doing is just concepts and ideas, but we've probably taken it farther than most people, most normal people would. Um, this parking structure has about 1,800 parking stalls in it. Now, where are they coming from? 60% of the people based upon previous traffic studies are going to come from the north. So if you're driving your car, instead of taking a bus from one of the mobility hubs, which is one of the options, you can drive your car directly into the second level of the parking structure, park here, take the escalator to the gondola station. Makes it super seamless. Now, if you want to get back on the road in order not to complicate traffic in the area, and we've maintained that the two-lane road is more than adequate and um, to provide access to and from the base station, 
this one here is a right back on um, that slips back on to Highway 210 North. And, and real quick, Chris, um, also, and I'm just watching time because we, we really only have about an hour, right? And I know <laughs> I love the amount of detail that you have here. Uh, how much is it going to cost to park there? Is, is there um, a criteria? We've heard something about e e exclusive or executive parking or something like that. Can you explain your vision for this and what's going to be the cost to, to, for people to park there? My vision is to listen to the EIS. So the whole goal of the transportation solution in my perspective is to get people out of their cars and take mass transit. And what is it that's gonna take to get that to happen? I think in all of the options um, permit or proposed by UDOT, they all have a tolling option. So I expect that tolling will be the motivation or one of the motivations to get people up there. I think quite frankly, the paid parking in the canyons someday is an option. And I think the farther away you get from the ski areas, the less expensive the parking will be. And that should be the case with this parking structure here. So just to maybe, um, just to clarify really quick, do you do you expect, so we're talking about upwards of 5,000 people per hour. Let's just say it's a thousand people per hour on a big powder day. Um, that's, that's gonna be, you know, 4,000 people in the morning. You don't have enough parking for that. Uh, do you anticipate yes. people are going to um, stop at a park and ride somewhere else in the valley? You know, I mean, just and then they're going to take a bus, get dropped off and then go and ride the, the gondola up. What percent of the people will be doing that? Um, this, this answers your question, Brad. So presently, the present study that UDOT's got um, is to have 24 buses going to the mouth of the canyon. Now, those buses have to turn around and go back which means left-hand turns and complicates their ability to do so. With the way the system's designed here with right off, right back on on the road with no left-hand turns at the base station, uh, we can easily handle 30. Now, our traffic um, considerations were um, taken into consideration through Hell's um, engineering and they did a full traffic impact study. And quite frankly, the engineer, the guy who owns it called me and said, that's an amazing um, concept because in the year 2050, that's that's one we're all that's the number we're all scared about. The level of service for all of these intersections is at a level of A. That's hard to come by, so there won't be a traffic problem. Um, there's a lot of emotions on traffic, and people are saying it's going to be terrible. They're going to go through the neighborhoods. Not really, based on the science-based analysis, it'll be at a level of service of A. So even though the gondola, quite frankly, can handle 5,000 people per hour, this base station can only handle 3,245 people per hour using the modes of buses, cars, and people walking to the site, and plus drop-offs. One of the things that I think is missing from the um, mouth of the canyon is they're only going to allow people to take a bus. Well, in the 6,521 comments filed on the environmental impact study, which is this one here, there are a lot of people saying, I'm not going to take a bus to get off the bus to get on another bus or a train or a gondola. I'm just going to drive up the canyon. Mm -hmm. And so I think to have a multimodal hub at the mouth of the canyon actually solves the problem versus compounds the problem with other modes of transportation. The comments in that EIS public comments there were 3,710 people that said build the gondola. How, how many of those comments were from local Utah people? I don't 
I didn't keep track of that, but I'd say the vast majority. I don't think they tracked it. I mean, we should fact check that, but I don't think they tracked zip codes and where the, I know that Alta ski, you know, Alta ski uh, chairs sent out, you know, mass email yeah. and, you know, yeah. that went outside of the state. I think it'd be, it would be useful to know, are these, are these opinions from tourists or, or locals? Um, maybe we can look, we can follow up on that, but I've heard that um, they don't have that data. Um, let's do another quick fact check or time check. Um, yeah. Chris, if you can accelerate a little bit on some of the, the eye candy slides, uh, hit on the yeah. main points. I know we're, we're, we're asking you questions throughout, so we're, we're also at fault here, but I don't, I just don't want to run out of time. Yeah. So, um, I'm looking for, um, on this particular, um, slide. One of the question, one of the comments that was made, the number of avalanche paths in Little Cottonwood Canyon are 64 in Little Cottonwood Canyon that crossed the road. Um, of the February 12th through the 18th, there was 150 avalanches and 34 of them crossed the road. So it's a rather significant issue, of course. Um, this is the actual um, um, 3S system. The 3S system has emergency capabilities to go uh, be released and lower people back down to the base station in the event of a problem. How many people fit into this, uh, the, the image we're looking at here in the, to this car? Validate my thought. I think it's 28 passengers that are seated. Seats are heated, Wi-Fi. Um, it's absolutely green because it only uses, only uses electricity going up. In fact, it reduces, based upon the analysis we did, the carbon emissions in the canyon by 56%. That's a pretty significant number. So Chris, can I ask a follow-up question here that you, you bring up, a, and, and again, I apologize that we're interrupting, but I, I, I think having a, a, a sort of give and take conversation would be more interesting. So um, so that sounds like a pretty sweet gondola, right? Like, or, or I don't know, what do we even call this thing? It's much nicer than just a gondola. It's, it's much, and, and Sean, maybe there's a, maybe it is just a gondola, but it seems very nice. Um, but a heated car, I heard they're gonna have Wi-Fi. These things are going to be deluxe because it's a it's a decent ride. It's like 30 or 40 minutes. Right. So I understand that there's funding for the gondola, that there's state bonding and the legislature's issued money and all this stuff. But who's going to pay for it during the year? Who's going to pay to operate this thing? And to Brad's question, how much and I don't know how this how far this is down, but how much is it going to cost, you know, me and my family to ride up there? Does my does my snowbird pass or my Alta pass include that? Do I have to buy a separate season pass? How does all that work? And how does this add cost? Because to your point, there's talk about tolling, there's talk about paid parking, there's talk about, you know, buses and cog rails. You know, how does this work in terms of a, an, a, an economic incentive? Well, all of these numbers are gonna be somewhat preliminary, Chris, but um, the economics for the acquisition and development of the project, and it is a nice, um uh, a system it's it's a it'll be phenomenal to be able to fly up the canyon without any g-forces associated with the dangers of the road but um as a cost in and of itself snowbird and alta have both committed that if you have um a season's pass or you're an employee of either resort which consists of somewhere approaching i think season pass holders there's fifteen thousand between the two ski areas you don't have to pay anything to get on the gondola. You just get on the gondola using your season's pass. The objective is to get the cost of the ride less than the cost of the drive. And so 
the toll will need to be balanced. Now, this is just my perspective. I'm not talking for any large group, but the, the objective is to get people out of their cars. Now, if you've got four or five people in your car, then the cost of driving up the canyon is going to be less than the gondola. But if you're a single occupant driver, it should cost you more to drive up the canyon and park there because you're impacting the environment in an extreme level. And, and that's the balance that's yet to be determined. We've done some financial analysis, but it's us that's doing it. We'd rather have the financial analysis and those projections come from UDOT because they're the ones that are seemingly unbiased as to the five options there. And so I can tell you all those answers, but I think that's what it's going to be is is probably less than the cost of actually driving up the canyon and getting a parking spot if you're one or two people. So, so I hear what you're saying about if you have a pass. What I mean, I wonder, a lot of people use an icon style pass, and I'm sure a lot of people just buy a day pass. So you're saying at this point, we don't know how those, how those amounts will be determined. That's still kind of in the future. We've had lots of discussions about both of those, Chris. I'm not quite sure. The icon... Okay. The Icon Pass, especially because it's having a bigger impact in the canyon than the season pass holders, from my perspective. And so, how do you get those guys um, to pay their fair share? Everybody needs to help solve the problem, and and we're all going to have to step up. I don't, I don't want. What to might be a, um, you know, uh, what what might be a, a non-subsidized cost? You know, you don't have a pass. You want to write up it. What might what might that be per person? Is there a range? I mean, I'm guessing you guys maybe. You know, just a range that's giving us an idea would be useful. Um, and then um, we do need to, you know, kind of accelerate through this because I know Chris and I have some good questions we want to get to as well. But so answering your question on the rate, from my perspective and our independent analysis, it's going to be somewhere between, say, 15 and $20 per person. If you're just for a, for a round trip. Um, if you don't have a season pass or, you know, or something like that. And then um, you have some kind of signed document from Alta and Snowbird that they've committed to that this will be free for season pass holders. This is my brass ring, quite frankly. Um, okay. I, I want to see a really great transportation system, but as some folks know, I really like Superior, Cardiff, um, Toledo, um, Snowbird has made this commitment in writing and signed by our friends um, that if they get a gondola up there, and Alta's now chimed in, not including Grizzly Gulch, Chris, sorry. <laughs> well, I can ask. Have they made, um, really quick, uh, Chris, uh, so that's great, uh, but uh, have the, has Snowbird made that commitment to uh, a train? They have made that commitment tentatively to a train. I don't know if that's going to stand, but I have it in writing for a gondola, that they will give us a conservation easement precluding any development on all of their properties north of Highway 210. And Chris, just to, just to clarify that point, are you saying that Alta Ski Area has committed, I understand we're not talking about the land in Grizzly, but there's some land that is north of the creek that's adjacent to the Snowbird land on the Emma Ridges that Alta has committed that they would also for that land? I have that in writing as well, Chris. Okay, great. It was an email, written email, and I've met with, and we're now starting to talk about how to how to conceptually make that happen. And so, I've named it the Alta Bird Conservation Recreation Area, and it's hundreds and hundreds of acres. And then, Chris uh, McCandless, does that include Patsy, Marley area? 
Um, Patsy Marley is part of Grizzly Gulch as far as Alta's concerned. Let's just let's just make that happen. We're tired of of hearing about this and having that card held over our head. Yeah. Um, continue, please, with uh, with kind of. I think people would love to see. Okay, are you done with the slides? Well, as much as you know, I'm trying to be respectful of the time. Lots and lots of questions, and so I think I'll just stop sharing and answer questions. Yeah, that, uh, well, thank you. And I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be uh, rude about it, but I just know that we run out of time. This issue is so complicated. I, I always learn that and we, we run out of time. Um, you know, I, I did want to ask one question to the gondola um, guest today. Um, if you could just take a second, talk about what do you personally have to gain if the gondola is selected, right? So Sean, um, my understanding is you're, you, you, you do sales for Doppelmeyer, I'm guessing you commission off the sale. I, and the only reason I ask that is just to kind of, um, we, we don't even really discuss it. I mean, I think, you know, you're in the business to do that, right? And that's what you do. Chris Cushing, you know, you're an engineer. But but I also think it's important to kind of say, well, you know, you're advocating for this. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I get why, and I understand why you're advocating for it. But I think our audience would also appreciate kind of knowing, like, what would you personally gain if the gondola is selected? Um, and I don't know, Sean, if you want to go first, I kind of called you out just because I know, uh, my understanding is you do sales, right? And I know how sales work, but maybe just take us a minute and just kind of, you know, give us like, what 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 happens to you if if the gondola is selected? Sure, there is no commission. I can tell you that much. Um, personally, what I stand to gain is is a usable system that's that is actionable now. We can build a system in the shortest amount of time of the other modes, meaning we don't need to cut and fill and build snow sheds, widen roads, lay train track. Do, do um, you, um, and sorry, I just wanna, I wanna kind of hit this and then we've got other questions. So I don't mean to cut you off, um, but you, you get a bonus or something like that if this happens. I mean, I'm just guessing, I mean, I'm a business guy, right? And um, you know, usually there's incentives and it, I don't think there's any shocker. There's nothing to hide here, but. Um, there's, there's no personal incentive for me from a business standpoint, there's our company, of course, stands to gain, but uh, it's it's more than that. It's about solving an issue that we all know needs to be solved. And I think an important point is that with with the gondola, and you were trying to drive at this point earlier about what incentivizes people to use the system. Well, one simple incentive is when you arrive at this multimodal station, you have in in essence reached your destination. So from the moment you leave your car, your bus, and you board this gondola, you are in essence at your destination. You're relaxed. You have your cup of coffee or your skis in hand, and and you're on sure. your way. Yeah. And you know and I have. Wish, um and so, Sean, you're saying there's no financial invest uh, incentive for you. You're not going to get any sort of financial gain out of this. It's just your, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. That's that's great. And obviously, you want your company to do well. And I understand you're an advocate of it. You know, that makes sense. Um, Chris Cushing, um, to you, same kind of question. Is there, you know, any financial gain for you? You know, if this comes about, I'm guessing maybe more work. You know, on the engineering side. But is there more to it? Can you just kind of level the playing field for us on what you know? I we wouldn't even get more work on this. You know, this is, it's at a stage now, the concept is laid. Um, there's no big game for me or our company if this thing goes or not. Um, you know, uh, 
my involvement is, I mean, I, I just honestly think this is the best solution. I mean, you know, given adding more buses to the highway, widening the highway, uh, putting a train up the, up the canyon, you know, the environmental impacts are just so much more dramatic. Um, you know, sure, a gondola has some visual impacts. The towers are going to be tall, um, but it's just the best solution. I mean, I've traveled all over Europe, Asia, and all these places, and, you know, you see these systems in place, and, and no one's putting trains in anymore. They're putting in gondolas. It's, it's like it's, the, it's the, the way of the future. So, uh, you know, um, and, you know, clearly we, we have a lot of experience with these things and, and I, I can understand the value. And so, yeah, there's. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and, and, you know, I asked that because um, our constituents, we get people that ask us this, you know, what's the bias here? And so, um, you know, it, it just kind of helps, you know, level that. And then same, so same question, you, Chris McCandless. So, you know, obviously we all get up in the morning, go to work for a paycheck. I don't know anybody that doesn't do that. And so if we develop this property, which we will develop this property with or without the gondola, I'll get a paycheck. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. You, you know, you're an investor and uh, you've invested in it. You want to develop it. And, you know, that's the way business works. So I understand that. Um, and it makes sense. And, you know, you, you know Chris McCandless, you know, just to say uh, uh, you have been skiing for years. You backcountry ski, you, you ski at the resorts. Uh, but you also, you know, I appreciate, you know, years ago, we had a shuttle day, WBA, you went and participated in it. Um, you know, I think we all do care about these mountains. And I, you know, I'm not at all trying to position things otherwise, but, um, you know, did want to get that question out there. So thanks. Um, finish with one please. small statement. Brian. When I quit being an elected official, I had to resign as the Central Wasatch Commission chair. That was the only thing that wanted that I wanted to stay there because I wanted to see it finished. I wanted to see the recreation area and some of these problems and challenges done. And um, I felt like I might be able to have a better solution. What they gave me as a gift when I retired was a picture, a framed picture of Superior. What I get out of this is I get to save the canyon or be part of the group that does that. I want to save Superior from future development and all those other properties. That's the big carrot. Yeah, we, you know, we're 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 with you on that absolutely, and uh, you know, I, I think the visual of Superior and, and saving that is worthy. We'd like to extend it to Grizzly. I mean, there's a lot of worthiness up there as well, but you know, um, totally agree with you there. Um, you know, I know Chris, um, but Chris, you want you had a couple of questions around um, kind of just the impact, you know, the environment, and you know, everything. Do you want to ask? Yeah, so Chris Cushing, you hit on this. I mean, this is a big question that everybody has. So these towers, yeah, they're going to be tall, but what is the impact here? What is the, I mean, the visual impact, I can, you know, I guess we don't have to get into that. It's going to be 17 to 20 towers with a tram running up and down. And, you know, I don't know how many cars are on this thing, but there's a number of cars on it. But what is the, like the impact to the watershed? Where do these towers go? Are they down by the creek? I'm sure they're all over. And how loud is this thing? How noisy is this thing going to be? And what are people who are, you know, at the base of Snowbird hearing or people who have houses at the base of Alta hearing? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think Sean can probably do a better job of, of that question than I can. I mean, um, you know, the, the, the footprint is essentially the stations and the tower footings. That's what's on the ground. Um, and, and Sean can, can fill us in on, on the size of those, you know, 
footprints for each of the, the towers and the stations. Um, I can tell you that at least in the, the analysis that we did for the, uh, the EIS, uh, none of the towers are, are within the, um, the 200 foot uh, setback of Little Cottonwood Creek. Um, uh, most of them are, are quite close to the, to the highway. Uh, so the access from the highway to the, the for construction and, and potential maintenance um, is, is quite close to the highway. Um, so, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the footprint, the impact area of the gondola is, is you know, a, a small fraction of the footprint of a train, certainly. And in the event that the bus solution includes widening the highway and also the snowsheds, um, uh, again, a much bigger footprint uh, than what the gondola would uh, would take up, and as far as the noise, um, and, and Sean, when I defer to you, you have you have better, more technical answers uh, than I do. So, well, I'm not going to spout off any decibel readings or anything like that. But the the I didn't answer your question about tower heights earlier, Chris Adams. But on the on our feasibility profiles, they all range between about 150 feet and 250 feet of varying heights, depending on where they are to to make the right profile. Um, and each of those, it's a lattice structure, just like you've seen on the Snowbird tram. So there, there are four Sean, columns. Um, really quick, and it, um, can you, what, what's a good 250 foot structure that people could visualize? How many stories of a building would that be? Or can you think of something that people can visualize what that, that how high that um, is? Well, I, I would visualize the Snowbird tram towers. I think that's maybe uh, depending on which one, you know, but it's that same type of system. So it's, it's a lattice, four-sided lattice. So on the ground, there are four concrete foundations that the towers sit on and then everything else around the tower and underneath the tower goes back to native after, you know, the initial excavation and construction. And then the question about noise, it's, it's, uh, it's, Silent when you're out on the out on the line, um, the noise would originate from the drives. So each of these alignments has a drive station with electric motors and a gearbox that turns a a bull wheel and and moves the rope. So that's where the noise is. Um, you know, we do all sorts of there's modern technology to minimize the hum of the rope moving over the rubber shiv liners out on the line. But if you've ever stood underneath the chairlift or or the snowbird tram, you can sort of understand what that sound might be like. Okay. Um, so then I just want to ask, a, so thank you. And, and I understand that a lot of this is still being speculative, but so I guess another question that I have, and as Brad set up and as, as you guys know, we're a human powered winter recreation group. And mm -hmm our concern with this gondola is how does it serve the dispersed users and the way that Chris Cushing described it is it goes to, it, it basically goes to Snowbird and Alta and okay, that's fine. That's the ski resorts, but there's lots of people in the winter and way more in the summer who are not just going to the ski resorts. And so I guess our question is how does this serve the dispersed users, those not going to the developed ski areas? So if I can take a stab at that, one of the things that I'll send to Brad is our concepts of 
how do we help solve the problems? And I think this idea came from you, Chris Adams, is that the tolling should only start at the gate buttress area. We think leaving the bottom part of the canyon open and free to people who want to climb that rock will be able to utilize the um, trail at the bottom without having some toll or, you know, the only challenge they'll have, of course, is finding a parking stall. The second thing that we took from those 6,500 comments that we read was conversations about dispersed recreation. So in conversations with Snowbird, and they said, why don't you guys put in an access trail so that backcountry skiers and hikers can, can move their systems or move their, um, move down to the White Pine area and then perhaps get a shuttle back to the, to the gondola. So that's being considered as well, because quite frankly, the White Pine trailhead's so overloaded at this point. The third point that we asked um, to be considered as part of our submittal to UDOT is a free bus that goes not to Snowbird and not to Alta, but originates at the Lakai Base Station and it goes to the dispersed recreation zones. Now, Alta is going to be within a stone's throw of the dispersed recreation places I love. I ski all those places you guys ski. My ski tracks on my screensaver is of those areas, right? And so I can get off at the gondola to Alta and then take that. But the bus would drop us off at, at, at the gate buttress or it would drop us off at Lisa Falls or um, the White Pine Trailhead and then turn around and go back down the canyon. Now, the revenue streams associated with tolling, the contributions by Snowbird and Alta every year, which would be about an estimated $2.5 million a year, would help pay for that bus. So I get it. I'm, I'm one of you guys with regards to that activity. So I think those comments were actually pretty good. And we've submitted that to you, Dot, as a- And Chris, um, uh, McCandless, uh, uh, for the backcountry dispersed recreational users, you know, people who want to go splitboarding and backcountry skiing or hiking on a trailhead, unless you're going to Grizzly Gulch and you're going to get dropped off at Alta, um, right now there's no plans for any kind of drop off anywhere along the lines um, of the route. Is that correct? Just want to clarify that. Based on their existing EIS, but I think there was so many people, you know, I'm, I don't know how many of you guys read every one of those 65 comments I did. There's a lot of comments with regards to that dispersed recreation. It's not in the plans. It's possible, but we'd have to rebudget and kind of figure that out. Okay. Um, so a, a couple of... Um, can, can I just add a comment too, Brad, about that? And this is just my subjective comment, but to supplement what Chris McCandless said, you know, I'm also a dispersed user and I, I'm not here to prove that I also get out and use the outdoors, but using the summer as an example and going to White Pine, First of all, the scramble to find a place to park, and then let's say we want to hike up to the lake or go to the Pfeifferhorn. I would be curious to know of all the users at any of those trailheads, how far are they actually going out away from the parking lot? And my point is a system, whether any of these systems that are being discussed they also act as a guide to those users that aren't quite sure where they want to go. They just know they want to go somewhere. And this puts them at a well-established place with trash cans and toilets and everything that people need. And so it opens up those other dispersed sites to the users that are there for maybe more, more of a purpose, let's say. Makes sense. 
Um, a, a, a question, um, uh, people are concerned, you know, we've surveyed our community and we, we have a pretty fiery, passionate group of people um, that we represent. And anytime we survey people, um, it gets back to the, um, the genesis of our organization. Um, people hate interconnect. They hate, hate, hate uh, interconnect in that concept. There is a lot of concern that you put a gondola up Little Cottonwood Canyon with this scope of work, clearly defined Little Cottonwood, how easy it's gonna to be to connect Big Cottonwood, how easy interconnect is going to occur. Can you respond to that? I can touch on that a little bit. So we're not in favor of that as an organization, company or people. Um, we think that this is a solution for Little Cottonwood, not a solution for the Wasatch. And then um, Chris, to follow up on that, uh, how do, let, let's say the gondola occurs, how do we, you know, I, I appreciate that you're not in favor of it, but what, what can we do to make sure that doesn't occur? If other people now that are, you know, developing this and implementing it, we don't suddenly find ourselves in 10 years and, there, and, and then there's proposals to connect it because it's already there. And now, do you need a ski interconnect or a gondola interconnect? What, what? Connecting the canyons via gondola over, you know, from Little Cottonwood to Big Cottonwood Canyon. Well, um, assuming that gondola would go from, from base to base and not have a, a station at the, the ridge, it, I, th I think that's kind of the concept is that if there were a, a gondola connection, in other words, instead of putting gondolas up both Little Cottonwood Canyon and Big Cottonwood Canyon, the notion would be to put a gondola up Little Cottonwood Canyon and then have an extension that went from Little Cottonwood Canyon up over the top and back down the other side, the Big Cottonwood Canyon, without a, a, a mid-station unload, if you will. Um, I, I think that's a very reasonable approach if that were to, you know, if that became a, a potential solution that would have um, virtually no impact on, on the backcountry community, I don't think, unless I'm missing something. You're saying that um, once the gondola would be installed in Little Cottonwood Canyon, that connecting Little Cottonwood to Big Cottonwood Canyon without a, a, um, a stop off at the, at the ridge line would be simple to do. So Brad, what I'd really like to do is finish my comment. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead, Chris. So if you, if you remember the slides from the base station, Lakai base station, doing everything we can, we can only accommodate about 3,400 people, which is, in the peak and in the peak periods, which is basically from 7 a.m. till 10 a.m. and then from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. We can't put more people in that station just because we've got an extension. And so it, unless you want to build it even bigger and faster, there is no capacity nor should there be capacity to take more people up that canyon and then take more people from the other side and bring them into the canyon. I think the concern is in general, in theory, once, once this is in place, it, it makes it easier for people to, to promote and enable uh, a canyon to canyon connection, which our group is really against. Um, we're, I'm kind of at the top of the hour and I have... Um, I don't like the idea either. And so the work we're doing is to try to promote it as just a solution to the Little Cottonwood Canyon transportation problem. It, it makes people really concerned, you know? And so uh, the more that we could, you know, identify 
uh, ways to make people rest more easily on, on that, that, that you know, would be the better. Um, so I understand that uh, at a recent CWC meeting that Salt Lake County Councilman Jim Bradley asked, what's the goal in all this? Um, and, you know, it, it, I, I just see it all the time in kind of my professional life where you just start getting in the weeds and suddenly you, you forget what is it we're actually trying to accomplish. Um, that I've heard people talk about, um, you know, we're talking about solutions that are in, improving traffic um, capacity when we haven't really um, thought through canyon capacity. And, um, you know, it kind of sticks with me as I've been, you know, uh, getting, you know, with, with the UpTrack series and talking to multiple groups. It seems to me that there's an expectation, please correct me if I'm wrong, that let's say the gondola is implemented, that all the parking spaces would still be full at Snowbird and Alta. And yet now we're still moving up, you know, 1,000 people per hour up more up the canyon. Um, and, you know, I, I think it gets back to the goal, right? Like, let's talk about what is the goal and what is the solution um, and how is this addressing that solution? So there's concerns that we're, you know, we're, we're really creating a, an overcapacity issue. The other concern about this is um, ski resorts are very concerned about skier experience. So once they start getting more crowded lift lines, more crowding at the resort, the inevitable is ski resort expansion, which no one wants. We've surveyed people, no one wants that. But it just feels like there's forces pushing towards this. So can you guys address, let's just step back really quick as we close out, what's the goal and maybe concerns or address some of the concerns that I outlined here. So the goal for me, and I don't know about the other guys in the room right off the top, is to preserve the north side of Highway 210. That's, that's my brass ring. The second goal would be to have a system in place so that if and when, quite frankly, a capacity study is done, we have a system that can control the number of people that actually get in a canyon. For a gondola, you stop loading people. If there's a if there's a toll, you close the canyon if there's too many cars in the canyon. But the Forest Service is the one who has control over the capacity, not you, Don. And so we're all in favor, or at least I'm all in favor, of a capacity study because we cannot simply continue to put more and more people in the canyon. We're going to screw it up. So let's bring on the capacity study. But if we spend 10 years, which is what I've heard it takes to do a capacity study, we've screwed up the canyon without a solution to the transportation. Let me just um, kind of respond to that really quickly because as a board of directors, we've talked about this. Right now, existing capacity. Um, um, you know, um, things that are, are limiting capacity are in place now and it's parking spots, essentially. And so if, if, if you're any of us and you go up on the weekends and you go ski one of the resorts, you go back country, every, you know, we're on big days, the capacity, we're at capacity. And so now we're talking about implementing a system um, that's going to just increase that capacity. Um, and so I guess there's just concern, right? If, if the goal is right, you know, and, and so um, I, I guess I just wanna, I'd love to hear some other thoughts on that because it, it seems like we need to step back and really think about, is this really what we wanna create? You know, we have every parking spot still full and we're still putting, you know, this system could put upwards of 5,000 people per hour 
let's just say it's a thousand people per hour on a big busy morning, more 5,000 more people up there. You know, can, I mean, um, you know, Chris Cushing, uh, Sean Marquette, and I know uh, Chris McCandless, you know, you've been talking a lot as well, but, you know, but just kind of, uh, what are your thoughts about that? Because it's really concerning when we start thinking about what we're trying to do and what, what the unintentional, unintended consequences may be. Yeah, you know, uh, clearly the, 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 the canyon has a physical capacity to hold people and that can't be refuted. The ski resorts have, have a, a limitation to how many people they can comfortably hold. The hiking trails, the, the backcountry, the, the ice climbing, all those things have a physical capacity. And that can be projected with a fairly high level of, of specificity. So that needs to be established first and foremost. I mean, there's no question that is the, the, the absolute you know, factor that, that governs how many people should go up that, that canyon. Um, I think the goal is once that capacity is established to get a higher percentage of the people, whatever that capacity is, if it's 10,000 people, whatever it is, that instead of all 10,000 people driving up the canyon, that 5,000 people are riding a gondola and 5,000 people are driving a car or taking a bus. The goal is to not, uh, you know, I mean, my perspective, the goal is not to, to you know, kill the the goose that lays the golden egg by just jamming people up the canyon. It's to figure out how many people should be up the canyon on those peak days, and 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 have a system that that you know is can be regulated to you know make it so that as many of the people going up the canyon are, are riding a, a train or a gondola or a bus, and and fewer people are driving their, driving their cars. Um, and. You know, I, I tend to agree with that, uh, Chris Cushing. I have to do the first and last name because all the Chris's, but um, you, you started your comment by saying, um, first and foremost, we need to figure out capacity. Well, we kind of find ourselves, you know, going down with funding and, you know, all these things. And so that train has already left, pun intended. Sorry, didn't mean to, but right. You know, so I, I guess the concern is um, how do we control that? How do we ensure that this, what feels like an inevitable outcome, an un, un, undesired outcome seems possible. How do we do that? I mean, are we sort of just relying on a future funding of a capacity study and others implementing capacity, you know? Well, you know, um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you look at, at Snowbird and Alta, uh, the size of the resorts, the number of lifts and so forth, and you compare them with, you know, some of the Colorado resorts. And Snowbird and Alta are doing, you know, less than half the visits, you know, the annual skier visits of some of those resorts in Colorado. Why is it? Because the, you know, if, 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 if Snowbird tried to, to double the number of skiers at the mountain, it, you know, they couldn't get there. They, they you know, it would be, I mean, it's, already it's, it's, a, it's a total nightmare getting up the canyon. So there are people in the valley that are saying, screw it. I'm not going to go skiing. It's not worth it. There's a, there's a practical limitation that people, you know, if you exceed the, 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 the negatives to a point that it's no longer an enjoyable experience, people stop doing it. Um, and, and, you know, so, so there's a, you know, and, and that's sort of myopic, I think, but it's true. I mean, you know, at a certain point, if, if the experience isn't, 
you know, what you're expecting, you're not going to do it anymore. You're going to go to Beaver Mountain or, or you know, you're going to go to, you know, somewhere else to, to do your, your backcountry skiing. So I think that there is, that, that does come to play. So I, I would just, and again, we're getting close to the end here. I would just, I would just say one thing about, about that to, to all of three of you is that our concern, and this is sort of what Brad is getting at, is that we understand that UDOT is in the business of improving mobility, right? We understand that they are attempting to reduce tra travel on Wasatch Boulevard by 30%. And that's why this 1,000 people per hour number has been uh, identified, right? And that's why they're talking about only operating it in December through March and all these things that, that don't seem to make a lot of sense in the bigger picture. And we didn't even get to talk on our thoughts on a valley-wide transportation system and things like that. But to your point, Chris, we're very concerned that UDOT is not only not talking about it, they're saying they're unwilling to really do a capacity study because they're basically saying that's not part of our mission, if you will. And so we, we hear you guys loud and clear you know, you guys have been very open with us. We appreciate that. Chris McCandless, I'm thrilled to hear that even though this gondola can, in theory, accommodate 5,000, that you are telling me that its purpose-built base can, can only handle 3,200, okay? That's good news. But to Brad's point, on a busy morning, well, that jams 12,800 people up there between 7 and 11, plus all the people driving. And suddenly, we're all saying, Chris Cushing, to your point, wow, you know, seven years ago, it was crowded, but now it is just shoulder to shoulder. I'm going to go to Beaver Mountain or I'm going to go to somewhere else instead. And our concern, one of our big concerns with not just the gondola, but with the train as well, is that this solution is being put in place in a way that is not, it's, it's a solution looking for a problem in some ways, but it's really not being forced to say, look, the, the, the pipe only should be this big, right? It's saying, well, the pipe could be this big, we're going to keep it this big, but it could be this big. And that's our concern. And like I said, I'm happy to hear that the base station, but the problem, Chris McCandless, is those can be those can be built bigger. You can build it out. They could say, well, it only holds 3,200 now, but we'll just expand it so it can hold that 5,000 capacity. And suddenly we have, to your point, Chris Cushing, we suddenly have a concern. And Chris McCandless, I understand what you're saying about preserving the superior ridge. And I know how important that is to you. And that's important. But my concern is that suddenly we've got more people up Little Cottonwood than we know what to do with. And that to the point I think Brad was getting at before, is this the you know proverbial camel's nose where people say, ooh, we have a gondola up Little Cottonwood. What about when a big cottonwood are going over the ridge line or going to Midway? And that's and, and that, that, those are things that we are hearing. And I'm not suggesting that's what you three are talking about, but that's, you know, we're worried about that being the next steps and eventualities. And I apologize, we've run over a bit. I apologize for taking too much time there. Sean, go ahead. It seems like you've been wanting to say something. Uh, do you have something, Sean? Well, just I understand those concerns and I think we all have those same concerns, but like Chris McCandless pointed out, right now there's no throttle. If, if uh, 20,000 Harleys wanted to go up Little Cottonwood Canyon, they could. And there's nothing to stop that on some summer day. But with the right systems, whether it's, it's tolling, it's a gondola in this case, those things act as the throttle and can then easily control the number of people. And yes, we talk about high capacities that we can achieve, but those are for those peak times. Those are for delivering the people in the morning. So, you know, we all work hard 
on the during the week so we can go up on the weekend and we want to have a reliable way to get there and and this could be that reliable way and same thing coming out we want a reliable way to leave at the end of the day and this is what can offer that reliability and equitable access for anyone who wants to go in we're we're uh, we're a little bit over we always do this i guess uh um I, in closing, and I heard Chris McCandless say it at one point, um, but one of the questions I wanted to directly ask is, um, if you can, in like a sentence or two, why is the gondola better than the bus? Why is the gondola better than the train? Um, I think I heard it, but I think I'm going to let you guys close on your platform being the advocates for this, and then we'll, we'll close. So the, the train, why the gondola versus the train, and I'm a fan of both. But I'm a bigger fan of the gondola for a number of reasons. It gives us more options without additional expense. I think from an environmental perspective, no, I don't like the towers. I can't stand the thought of looking at them. But I got to pick the lesser of three evils. And I think the gondola towers are that because we're only going to destroy 1.9 acres in the canyon by comparison to train or bigger roads is in excess of 40 acres, linearly ill. Linearly ill. Um, the train, if they need to expand it from the thousand people per hour, I'd really like to see us get rid of an awful lot of cars and we need the option to do that. And a train being based on UDOT's numbers is twice as expensive as the gondola. Now I got to charge twice as much money for a ticket to ride a train by comparison to a gondola, which means fewer people are going to ride the train. And so from the perspective of environmental from the perspective of that uphill loading capacity. I'd go on and on and on, Brad, but you're going to tell me. I can't. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> all the, the gondola checks all the boxes, including the secondary emergency egress. On February 12th through the 18th, they had three medical emergencies, couldn't get them out. Over 2,000 people were stuck in the canyon. What about the moms and dads? went up there to catch a little pow in the morning with kids coming home during from school what are those kids yeah. doing? there's no mom and dad there so and and uh what what's the one-liner uh uh and thank you chris mccandless chris adams is giving me a hard time saying brad runs a tight ship uh <laughs> it's just there's so much to discuss here um but uh to how about chris cushing um why why is the gondola beat the bus and, and why you know why is this better? Gondola cabin door is opening every thirty seconds. A train comes every thirty minutes, <laughs> or bus. Um, you know, it, 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 it's just it's just way more convenient. You know, I echo what Chris McCandless said for sure. All those points. Here's another one. You know, there's a gondola cabin door opening every thirty seconds. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts, Mr. Chris Adams? Uh, well, no. Did we? Did Sean? Did you? We didn't give Sean an opportunity to say. Oh, I, I just did because Sean uh, had, was talking a little bit before, but Sean, please, if you have a, a, a closing argument on the gondola, please do, sir. Well, I'll echo both Chris's and I, I invite anyone to, you know, educate yourselves about some of these systems that we're talking about. You know, there's the closest one in North America is the peak to peak gondola in Whistler Blackcomb, but take a look around, just go to Google and, and look up the Iger Express look up the Kitz-Steinhorn Express and look at what these systems can do and how it can transform our canyons and make them, you know, more equitably accessible for all people and reliable to get in and out when we want to recreate. Thank you. 
Um, I did see a final question come in uh, from Facebook. Who, who would own and operate the gondola, actually? I don't know that. That's probably a simple answer. Well, it's not actually very simple. I expect something like the Central Wasatch Commission to be an advisory board. It would be um, staffed by people who have stakeholders such as yourselves. I think everybody should have a voice in how it operates. And then I think an independent agency is hired by that advisory board to manage the system. That's that's the way I would do it. It'd be a privately owned and managed system, not a government entity like UTA running this or UDOT or something like that. I mean, it could be UTA and it could also be UDOT uh, okay. both systems. But we really like to have somebody with some experience like Snowbird and Alta and Doppelmeyer um, to be in an advisory position to be able to give them um, their knowledge as to how it works and what works in other areas. This is new. So that has not been determined yet, but you have some ideas. I get it. Yeah. That was a short answer, Brad. <laughs> well, um, I would like to thank our guests for joining us tonight. Um, you know, uh, it's a complicated um, subject and, you know, we, we're really doing a deep dive on this as a board of directors. We're trying to represent our community um, and we, we all want what, what, what the best solutions are. So um, to Chris McCandless, uh, Sean Marquette and uh, Chris Cushing, thank you so much for joining us. And um, we all work with you guys to, to make sure we have some good assets on our website that people can learn more about this. Um, any final words, Chris, before we close out? Adams, Mr. Chris Adams. No, no, again, I just wanna echo Brad. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, you know, it's really good to hear this kind of conversation and let us ask some questions that maybe aren't being asked by other groups and that are more specific to our users. So thank you guys for taking the time. We really appreciate and for all the effort you're putting into helping work on these solutions. With that, I'm going to close out this episode. Oh, go ahead, Mr. McCandless. Sorry. Okay, thank you. And I miss hanging out with you guys. I don't get to see anybody anymore. I don't have as many friends as I used to when I was an elected official. Now I went somewhere else. I don't know where they went. The pandemic might have something to do with it as well. But um, thanks again, everyone. Um, this I'm going to wrap up this session of um, the Uptrack. And uh, a couple of announcements, actually, with Wasatch Backcountry Alliance we are having a fundraiser. We extended a little bit with our Backcountry Film Festival. Uh, these are really awesome, fun movies to watch, and it's a fundraiser for our nonprofit organization. Um, and um, our next episode will be two weeks, and we will be uh, discussing the Cog Train solution. And they'll they're going to be just punching the gondola in the face, I'm sure, um, <laughs> and talking about that. So you guys might want to tune in. Uh, to everyone on tonight's episode. But um, with that, I'm going to close. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you guys in two weeks. Thanks, everyone. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for your efforts. Appreciate it.